resurrection. First day of the week, Sunday, was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And all the Gospels are united in their observation of and their bearing out of this fact. And the early church began to worship and to meet in fellowship on this day, and not on the Sabbath. Jewish Sabbath. It was the seventh day of the week, Sabbath. And they did this to hear the preaching of God's word. And they did this to also have fellowship and to enjoy their common meal, which oftentimes would precede or follow their celebration of the Lord's Supper. And they did on this day also give of their tithes and offerings. Prophet John, elsewhere in the book of Revelation, declared, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, which is the voice of the Alpha and Omega, Jesus Christ. Now, in this account, we notice that Mary Magdalene comes upon an empty tomb. There's, I get a picture of what was very similarly that of the tomb as she approached. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre or tomb and sees the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Mary Magdalene came and though it's not mentioned here but in the other gospels with other sisters for the purpose of preparing Jesus' body for burial. You might think that that was already done. Well, in their hurriedness to try to accomplish that on the first day, Good Friday, as it's called, even with all that was needed to, to do that, provided by Nicodemus, they weren't able to finish it. And so, more than likely, they took what remained of preparation donated by Nicodemus of the spices, the myrrh and the aloes, and uh, went to the tomb to finish the job. But who rolled away the stone from the door of the tomb? None of the Gospels actually describe the reactions of the ladies, including Mary Magdalene, but it was probably one of surprise Maybe also relief, because now they can actually go in there and, and do what they task themselves to do. And perhaps also fear. How did this happen? Where are the guards? Why is it open? Who opened it? Where is the body of our Lord? Getting help. According to uh, verse 2, they writer Ms. John shows that she ran back to the disciples. I don't know about the other ladies who probably followed after, but she ran back to the apostles. And well, she began to explain to them that they took away the Lord and we can't find him and we're in a tizzy about that. 
Mary Magdalene is said to have been with other women because it says in verse 2, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So that is a confirmation of what the Gospels have taught, that it was she was not alone in her actually witnessing this. Now, she didn't enter into the tomb. At the same time, she saw that the work was not there. So probably she took a peek and said, and her immediate assumption is that his body was stolen. So Peter and John go running back. Now, actually, John is a faster runner than Peter, and he overtakes him and arrives at the tomb first, but he doesn't venture in. Although he could look in there, perhaps it might be light enough outside to tell that the body of our Lord was gone. But Peter, when he arrived, actually went in and checked it out. It says, Then Simon Peter followed him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lying, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes that was what was used to cover his face. And that was wrapped together, probably neatly folded in a place by itself. Sure enough, Jesus' body is missing, and grave uh, robbers must have showed up and did this terrible thing, as what our sister said. After all, it was a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, wasn't it? And who knows if, as sometimes happens, uh, grave robbers go in there to see what things of wealth they can they didn't find anything because our Lord is not a person of means, whatever. And so instead, they snatched his body and perhaps they knew of the controversy surrounding our Lord, hoping to capitalize on that situation by holding a family member ransom, or in this case, his corpse. As I said, the only problem is that found is also beautiful. Even said as we've heard and read before how in his ministry he didn't have a place where to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have, have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. But again, the owner of the sepulcher, who was a disciple, though a secret one up to this point, was a rich man. And also, some of those women were well off, perhaps even Mary Magdalene, out of whom were removed by the Lord seven thousand <coughs> demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, was well off. And Susanna, and says many others as well, which ministered unto him of their substance. So, taking the body of Jesus hostage was a goal. And yet, we look at the evidence that is left behind. What do you see? You see people hurrying out, as it were. You see things in a, 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 a tizzy here. In their efforts to unravel the cloth that bound his body. And the spices that were also in between. The way that they did that, uh, uh, 
the Lord, when it would have been easier just to take it as it was wrapped up in those spices and with the linen. And so the tentative conclusion of both Peter and John was it appears nobody took the body. In fact, John came to the conclusion that it was in his blood. How else could his body have gone? How else did he count for the linen used to wrap him with and the face mask, as it were, a covering on his head in the tomb? left almost as if it was put there neatly and gently. And you know, hindsight is 20-20. Of course, it wasn't soon after that that the angels announced to their disciples that he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord waited. I have an expert witness by the name of John MacArthur who wrote, and I quote, Jesus' body, though physical and material, was glorified and was now able to pass through the grave clothes much in the same way that he later appeared in the locked room. And the locked room can be found in John 20, 19, further, further on. John 20, 19. Then the same day at evening, the same day as his resurrection, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. They walked in, in fear for their lives, and lo and behold, he talks in, but the Lord himself, the Lord of glory, and his glorified body. And there was another occasion when he appeared surreptitiously in the house on the road to Emmaus or in the village of Emmaus itself where his disciples, upon recognizing him, saw him vanish from before their eyes. Now, we can try to understand that in terms of what is uh, human reasoning and logic and say that, well, maybe, maybe the writer Luke meant that they were overwhelmed with joy and their being a large group meeting together, he slipped out. As he did on occasions when he would be found out by the Jews uh, and, uh, and uh, would, would want to be taken captive by them and stoned, let's say, to make the mistakes. In his resurrected body, says in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 40. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 40. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised 
There's a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. We know that it is no longer capable of decay. We know that it is no longer capable of sin. Of sin. In the case of Christ, he never sinned. He was the impeccable Son of God. We know that it is given a capacity to endure the glory of heaven. That morning, everything changed for John because he became a believer in the resurrection. He's already a believer, as it says in verse 8. Then went in also the other disciple, which is himself, the beloved disciple, beloved of his Lord, his master, and then it says, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. But up to that time, apparently, according to verse 9, he didn't believe. But after that meditation and contemplation and the calling of the prophecy of our Lord that he would rise again, he became the first to believe in the resurrection of our Lord. And it would be a matter of time before Peter would join the scene. Divine consolation, verse 11. But Mary stood without and outside of the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, the tomb. And she sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been. So there are two angels, not two grave robbers. They began to began to comfort her. It says the woman, which is not what we think it is today, right? Woman, do this. Woman, do that. Maybe some of you do command, but a term of endearment, even on their part, for Mary Magdalene, who is weeping. Why are you weeping? Because they've taken away my Lord, that's how she says. And I don't know where to find him. Can you help me? Imagine she was so out of it that she didn't recognize who she was talking to, unlike others who would be able to recognize that, that these are no ordinary human beings that are talking to us. Or perhaps they are celestial beings, even angels of God. Nor did she recognize Jesus who was standing right there behind her when she turned back to, uh, to look at him, she didn't know that that was him. And there would be other instances of other disciples who experienced the same thing. Why didn't Mary recognize her Lord? Perhaps she's still thinking of the last time she saw him in his bruised and bloody body with the scars. Perhaps his face was unrecognizable, as scriptures seem to indicate, as being flagellated. But now his resurrected body was so unblemished. The blemish was not struck that she couldn't put two and two together. This couldn't possibly be. She dismisses it, says that he is a gardener. Perhaps another 
possibility was that her tears so blurred her eyes that she couldn't make them out. And her heart and her mind were so in turmoil that she didn't recognize that that was her sister. Then the Lord speaks. He says in verse 15, what? Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Again, I will remind you that, uh, that they had a very close relationship. You know, those who are very close to the Lord are, are those oftentimes who have been saved from things that uh, we, many of us, who are converted to Christ, uh, never went through, such as in her case, being saved from this demonic possession. It seemed like nothing would console her, though, short of seeing the dead body of her male. And that was another thing, too, perhaps, that caused her not to recognize Christ speaking to her. Sir, if you have borne him hence, meaning taken him and put him somewhere, please show me where. Lead me to his body, and I will take him away. I'll take him away. Where he belongs. And what does the Lord do at that point? He calls her by her name, Mary. She turns around and immediately identifies him as her master. Rabboni, which is to say, master. If Mary did not recognize his face, she most assuredly recognized his voice. As David would say, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word has quickened me. In this case, the very voice of the shepherd calling out his sheep by name. In this case, Mary. We can all relate to this. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I may not remember the face of a loved one who is past, but I can remember his voice. I can remember distinctly his voice. I can remember the voices of many, many people throughout my life. How about you? Especially someone who is very special, like our Lord was. One day all God's people will recognize Jesus' voice when he calls out, here am I, on his return for his drive to church. And we will recognize his voice, and we will also recognize his face somehow on that day. Our Lord says to her, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. She was already at his feet, worshiping as she was wont to do, showering him with affection and lavishing him with kisses at his feet. Like, for example, the disciples did at his ascension when it says in Matthew 28, 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them and said, all hail, and they came and held him at his feet. Wasn't it just like they were holding fashion that they were embracing his feet and worshiping him, it says. Touch me not. In other words, don't continue to touch me or cling to me because 
you have to go. There's something I will have you do. But how else do you respond to someone that is your salvation? How else do you respond to someone who has given you life, who has given you eternal life, whom you thought was gone, and your hope for eternal life also perished with him, and now he's back. And especially when you consider who this person is, as John says in one of his letters, he wrote about, by the way, John, First John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was from the beginnings, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And when you realize also what this one has done for you, here is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. What that means is that he placated the wrath of God against us. He took the wrath away from us to be vented upon himself. You might say he took the bullet for us, the bullet of God that would have killed us instantly in the lake of fire on himself on the cross. And that is what spurred on that sense of loneliness and separation from his father when he cried out right before he finished that part of his work was on the cross by God and God. Why is thou forsaken? He says, I go to my brethren. No, he says, you go to my brethren and tell them, I said to my father, who is now your father, my God is now your God. Because you see, it is only by virtue of the finished work of Christ that we are reconciled to God. That he becomes our God, my God, and becomes our Father and my Father. He calls them brethren. For the first time, he calls them brethren, which is brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's our elder brother, it says elsewhere in the scriptures. Tell them I'm alive. Tell them the good news. Spread it all around. So that's what she does. Verse 18, concluding verse. Confirmation that Jesus is alive. She told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. Not his corpse, but the Lord. And that he had spoken these things to her to tell them. So Mary Magdalene was sent with the glorious news of the resurrection. And went faithfully and did that exactly as the Lord commanded her, as she always did. And later the other disciples would do the same, and word would spread exponentially until it would fill the whole earth, which is the goal. And finally, at that point, she did not yet come, the Lord would return. The resurrection of Christ had the effect of igniting their hope. It had the effect of motivating them into action. 
and to go in the gospel. Because I live, our Lord says, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and he in me. I am crucified with Christ, said the Apostle Paul. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And now he is risen again. Are we not all sent out by the Lord, commanded by Christ, with that message of the gospel, of the resurrection, which also ignited the world? We see that in the book of Acts. Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. Yea, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you? Calling you by name as he did Mary. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. I love them. And they follow me. I give unto them eternal life. Will you not take this glorious gospel yourself? The lost and dying world. observations I would make. The first, how interesting that John focuses on Mary Magdalene in this gospel. She isn't an apostle or some prominent person like Mary, the mother of the Lord. Nevertheless, it seemed appropriate that one of the very beneficiaries of so great salvation would be the first one to meet him. It says in Luke 8.2, Mary Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Now we don't know all the ins and outs of being possessed. Sometimes we conclude that when people have a murderous heart or are in contempt of the law and do dastardly things, even against their neighbors, even against their own families, taking the life of their loved ones that possibly they are possessed by the devil. Nothing else can explain their behavior. What a terrible life she must have led before Christ came in her life. As we know in the scriptures, whom much is forgiven, much love. But the greater focus was still on the one was the focus of Mary, Lord God, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly on his resurrection. Then as the Apostles' Creed teaches us, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. This happened on the first day of the week first day in which the church continues to this day to gather for worship. In-house, in-person, yes, online too, but there's something about face-to-face -face and how face-to-face -face is how we meet the Lord. Yes, face-to-face. -face. We see in the gospel the face of the Lord Jesus. The God of this world would blind our minds to the light of the glorious gospel of Christ in the face of Jesus, but there's no stopping the Lord. 
there's no stock of the Lord if he's, if he's coming to you, if he's meeting you and he's calling you to believe upon him and to follow him. And so, this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in him in it. He is risen as we learn. And if we need to be risen with Christ, what are we to do? Seek those things which are above where Christ sits presently at the right hand of the Father. Shall we pray? Father, we are thankful again for the history of redemption and how, Lord, you unfold it in the scriptures, how you provide a running commentary on your work. Words to accompany deeds, acts to accompany revelation, or revelation to accompany acts. We are grateful, Lord, how you bear with us, with our ignorance, with our weaknesses, with our tendency, Lord, to distraction by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and other things. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign and that you will get our attention one way or the other especially you will get our attention by presenting to us your word, such as what we heard, and by your spirit impress upon our hearts and minds, as you did, Lord, those in our story this morning, exceeding riches of your grace in your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This great love, wherewith he loved us. And Lord, why we love Us, oh God, to this end, to bring all glory and honor to Him as we see Him set forth in our lives each and every day, and especially as we gather each Lord's day to commemorate.